Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, September 1st, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is Bucknuts Almost Live. We brought the show back, our Sunday morning podcast, for game weekend. You can expect a little intro from myself, and then we'll have visits from the Dean, Bill Curlick, Matt Baxendell on the bucket, and today it will be Steve Hellwagon. We will have one of our beat guys, be it Steve, Dave Biddle, or Patrick Murphy, on every week to let you know how it went down. First, my impressions from yesterday. Ohio State gets it done against Florida Atlantic, 45-21. They jump out to a 28-0 lead, and it was arguably the worst performance by an opponent for the first 10 minutes of the game that I have ever seen. Justin Fields looked excellent right from the start in his real debut for Ohio State. A long touchdown run, a couple of very easy touchdown passes. The offense was crisp from the start. Florida Atlantic's defense, I have no idea what they were doing. I've never seen people blow assignments that badly that early in the game. Ohio State was obviously able to take advantage, jump out to a ridiculous 28 to nothing lead. I do think at that point, though, that Ryan Day somewhat called off the dogs. I see there's a lot of negativity out there about lack of execution, et cetera. And there was some of that, but I think they got up so early at 28 nothing and so easily. I think the kids on the team held up a little bit after that. I think uh, Ryan Day kept everything in the holster for Cincinnati. That's a big test coming in here. Defensively, it did seem like early on they were running to the ball, much more aggression from the linebackers. That's what the group I was looking at. There were some mistakes made, obviously, but it's hard to judge against Florida Atlantic early, especially when the number one running back went out. We were dominant, dominant early on defensively. I think it was 287 to minus 70 yards at some point. Any major judgment made after that point to me is a little off kilter. I do realize the front row had some angst, and I get that. But all in all, I thought it was just a really strong performance of the things you needed to see. The guys you needed to see, the Okudas, the Chase Youngs of the world, were fantastic. I thought the linebackers, like I said, were better. The offensive line was good early, and then I think got a little bit tired. But all in all, I was uh, very impressed. I just don't think you can take too much out of the game because Florida Atlantic was so bad to start the game. By the time they got ready to roll, the game was actually over. So there you have it. There's my two cents. We will be joined every week by the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. He joins us here now. was not the biggest visit weekend yet. Bill, welcome to Bucknuts Almost Live. Let us know who was there yesterday. Not, as I said, a uh, red carpet type list, but nevertheless, there were still a couple guys in town. No, it wasn't a, a huge list. and it, you know That's the, the you know, downside of playing those noon games. Uh, it doesn't give recruits much time to get to the games. And obviously when you're playing Florida Atlantic, not the biggest game on the docket. Um, so it wasn't a big turnout. It'll be better next week, Cincinnati coming in town, and uh, it'll be a much better turnout recruit-wise. But uh, a number of the highest state commitments were at the game, and that's always good. You always want your commitments there. you got to keep recruiting them. They're not signed yet. They're just commitments. And Paris Johnson, the five-star offensive tackle, and Jack Stoyer, the five-star 2021 defensive end, were there. And, and then a number of other commitments, including offensive lineman Grant Tutant and Josh Fryer. So, uh, as, as I mentioned, things are going to ramp up, and um, it'll be a Better weekend next weekend, Cincinnati game, and then, of course, we've got games down the road, including the big one at the end of the season, Penn State. That'll be a huge recruiting weekend. It's not like our guys didn't play football this weekend. You mentioned that a number of 
the guys who are committed to Ohio State or seriously looking at it had tremendous weekends on the gridiron. Bring us up to speed on those dudes. Yeah, there were some great performances, and I'm not sure there was any better performance than wide receiver Jackson Smith Najigba uh, from Rockwall High School in Texas. His team lost a shootout, 66 to 59, but uh, Jackson did everything he could to get his team um, uh, what he would hope to have been a win. Just didn't work out that way. But he had 12 catches. 269 yards and three touchdowns in that game against Dallas Highland Park. So he had a tremendous game. Um, Closer to home down in uh, uh, the Queen City, Paris Johnson had a dominating performance, and uh, uh, his team won easily uh, 38-7 over Milford. Uh, The high state quarterback uh, did a nice job. Jack Miller, again, having a good game, 17 out of 24 for 220 yards. And Kyle McCord on on the ESPNU game, heartbreaker, he um, threw a touchdown pass with just over a minute to go to give his team the lead over Marietta, a very good team from Georgia. Um, uh, So they had a lead with um, just over a minute to go. But Marietta drove down the field, scored with 12 seconds to go, and won the game. But still, McCord hit on 20 of 32 passes for 244 yards. Um, uh, so he had a fine weekend. And, and I got to see a couple of high state crewmen in action, Joe Royer and Jacob James from Cincinnati Elder. They helped lead their team to an easy win over against Hannah Lincoln. So all in all, some, some outstanding performances. And there were some others, too, but those are just a few I'd, I'd like to mention. So you saw Royer. And James in person, like you mentioned, give us a little more detail on how they looked. I realize it was just the first game of the season, but what was your impression? Yeah, they uh, they had they both played well. Uh, Royer is is kind of a he's an outstanding athlete that kind of does a little bit of uh, a lot of things for Elder. Uh, he's a tight end, will be a tight end for Ohio State, but he splits out wide um, some and uh, caught I think if I remember right three passes. Uh, one of them was a touchdown. Does a nice field da- downfield, nice nice job of downfield blocking uh, as well. And he lines up on defense in third down situations. Uh, often he'll go out on the field. Sometimes as a like a middle linebacker. Uh, sometimes as an edge rusher. But he'll be out there on the field at times on third down situations. Jacob James had a nice game too. He plays left tackle for Elder. Will be a guard at Ohio State, but plays left tackle for Elder, and uh, he led the way for them to score, um, you know, a lot of those points. As I mentioned, they won uh, uh, big over Gahanna Lincoln, uh, 41-6. So I think they both uh, did a really nice job on on Friday night. All right, Bill, you mentioned it earlier. Cincinnati comes to town this weekend, a much bigger opponent, a lot more drama involved considering the amount of Ohioans on that team, the amount of guys who wish who wish they could play at Ohio State that are on that team. Another chance for guys to come in town. I checked the weather forecast. I will be there. It's supposed to be in the mid-70s and sunny. Now, you don't know a week in advance, but you can hope. Lay out the schedule for who you expect to come into town next weekend. Well, real quick, I should also mention this past weekend, there, there was one player I talked about the commitments being at the game. Uh, I forgot to mention that there was one commitment that was at the game on an official visit. Uh, G. Scott Jr. from the state of Washington. His team uh, is the only team of all the high state commitments that did not open up either this weekend or last weekend. They don't have their first game until September 6th. So G. Scott took advantage of having 
a late start and made an official visit to Ohio State um, this weekend and was, of course, there in the shoe as, as the Buckeyes uh, got the win over Florida Atlantic. And then uh, to next weekend, staying on the theme of commitments, a number of them will be there. Uh, Luke Weipler uh, will likely make it all the way from New Jersey to that game. And I expect Paris Johnson and Jack Sawyer to be at the game again and a number of the other equipment. I mentioned Joe Royer and Jacob James are planning to be there. So I think you'll see a, a decent amount of Ohioans at the game. Uh, again, it hurts a little bit that the game is a 12-noon game, and kids that live farther away, it's harder to get to those games on time when they start at 12 noon. But they'll be, by the end of the, uh, towards the end of the week, um, we'll have a lot more names that'll be at that game when kids decide, well, I can make it after all to the game. Bill, we appreciate everything you do for the site. You know that. We appreciate you being a fixture on Buck Us Almost Live again. Have a great Sunday. All right. Sounds good. Have a great day, Dan. We're going to take a quick commercial break and be back with Matt Baxendale, the People's Champ. As promised, we are joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. He will be a fixture here on Buck Us Almost Live. Bax has always been a fixture of our Sunday coverage. Bax, how goes it? Well, the Buckeyes are 1-0, and I just spent 12-plus hours watching football yesterday, so things are pretty good. Took you a while to get back into the groove, I can tell. Let's go with general to specific here. And We've talked so much about the Buckeyes leading up to yesterday. It really did feel like a kid at Christmas as the game was getting started. Your general impressions of the squad, obviously we want you to touch on the new quarterback, but what you expected, what you saw, I'm going to let you have the floor here for a few minutes. Well, I think the first thing you have to take away from this game is that we saw the ceiling on this team in the first quarter. Uh, I know a lot of the talk after the game was that they didn't maintain that level of production and, oh, there's concerns about the let-up mentally after getting up big, and I understand that. But for that first quarter, you literally could not have asked more from the Ohio State football team. 28 nothing. They outgained Florida Atlantic something like 170 to minus 10 or something, some ridiculous sort of number in the first quarter. It was borderline perfect. And, yes, they didn't maintain that level of execution. And, no, it didn't end up 70 to to, to, to 10 like it could have. But I think it's a bit of a teaching experience for Ryan Day. This game was obviously never in doubt. Uh, if, you, if you compare this to, say, what Michigan did yesterday, where they were only winning by 13 at half and kind of struggled their way to a sort of similar score, I think you feel a lot better about it. I think the only downside here is that they didn't put the foot on the gas a little bit more in the second quarter and allow some of the offensive backups to get in the game. That said, you saw a very good performance from Justin Fields. Uh, I thought his running was strong. I thought he went through his progressions pretty well. Uh, I thought in the first quarter in particular, the offensive line protected very well. Uh, they, they got beat up a little bit more as it went on, and the Buckeyes were a little slow to adjust to some of the defensive changes. But in the end, I think overall you had a very strong performance. Now, what we saw from Florida Atlantic I think is critical for us to look going forward. Where OSU had some struggles moving the ball in the second and third quarters was largely a byproduct of the fact that the O-line lost a little of its intensity, but you also saw Florida Atlantic starting to stack the box like we used to see against uh, the JT Barrett-driven offenses, where their thought was, all right, well, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us throwing it. And OSU got a little conservative, ran the ball a lot on first and second down, you're going to have to mix that up a little bit more. You think Cincinnati's going to come in here and not try to stack the box and make Fields beat him with his arm? I think that's going to be sort of critical to see going forward is that Fields can start beating teams with his arm. He can put up good passing numbers like he did yesterday. 
then the sky is absolutely the limit for this team. So overall, I, I was pretty pleased with the way that the team played. Offensively, obviously, we, we've talked about, you know, the way that it went after the first quarter, but they still rang up a solid 45 points. That's not bad. And defensively, you have to be ecstatic. When the first team defense was in there, they, they played extremely well. Uh, we saw Jeff Okuda and Jordan Fuller playing like star levels in terms of not just their, their coverage abilities, but their tackling. And Jeff Okuda had a couple tackles that were downright reminiscent to Denzel Ward. And in a game where they were missing their number two, three, and four defensive ends, I thought the D-line was dominant again. And it wasn't just Chase Young who was doing it. So that's a great sign. Now, we're not going to know for sure whether or not Tough Borland and Baron Browning really have figured it out or whether Pete Warner's really improved from last year until you have a more capable opponent on the other side of the ball. But even yesterday, the linebackers were certainly not a problem. I think you have to be very pleased with what we saw from the defense. Uh, you just have to take it with a certain amount of grain of salt, if you will, that uh, this is still a lesser opponent. OSU goes out and plays anywhere near this well against Cincinnati next week. They're going to win by a comfortable margin, and I'm going to feel a lot better about the chances for this Buckeye team because I was of the opinion they were going to have a little bit of an adjustment period, particularly in Justin Fields. And if they don't have that, then a team like Nebraska, who struggled their way through a win over South Alabama yesterday, may not be so daunting at the end of the month. Let's talk individuals here. Who impressed you? Who disappointed you? Any of the new guys jump out at you? Oh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll go to the easy answer that Justin Fields was impressive. He's ahead of where I thought he would be. His accuracy was there. He went through his progressions. Uh, there's still things for him to work on, no question about it. Uh, when he's moving around the pocket, sometimes keeping his eyes downfield seemed to be a little bit of a concern with him. But let's face it, if, if this is his lowest level of execution that we're going to see, then it's a great time for his preparation. Uh, I was obviously impressed with Jeremy Ruckert. I've been talking about him for a while, thinking that this kid eventually is going to have a big breakout game, and we finally saw it yesterday. Now, his first touchdown, he was so wide open that you could pick a random member of the front row and they could have made that pass. And I don't know if there's anybody within 10 yards on either side of him in the middle of the field as he's walking into the end zone. So, you know, there's a low level of difficulty for fields on that play. But still, when you have a tight end catching multiple touchdowns in a game at Ohio State, and we haven't had any tight end make an impact like that since Ben Hartsock, it's certainly notable. Uh, defensively, I, I was ecstatic and ecstatic probably isn't strong enough to describe how good Jeff Okuda looked. He had a couple tackles that were clear first downs if he didn't get there, and he just flat out stopped the guy. That kind of, of run support from your corners is invaluable, particularly when you get to go against much better teams. So you have to be really excited what you saw from him. Uh, I thought Malik Harrison played a really strong game. He had one or two plays where he separated guys from the ball in the passing game. He's improved over last year, and last year he was the only linebacker I had any faith in. So I think that's another great sign for OSU. And one thing that really stuck out to me was I will be absolutely stunned if DeMario McCall does not have at least one kick return for a touchdown this year. He was electric. He was dangerous with the ball. He's the scariest-looking kick returner we've had since I would go back as far as the days of Ted Ginn. And we'll have to wait and see how he does this year, but him with the ball in his hands on kick returns is a scary thing. And I, again, I, I've been the guy who for years has been screaming, just fair catch the damn ball. The offense is good enough. But if McCall is not dropping the football, then he's electric. And that's going to be really exciting to watch this year. I said this in the open, and you can comment on it. I think uh, Ryan Day pulled the plug on the offense at 28 nothing. 
They got very vanilla. They did not try and throw deep, I think partially because he knew they could hit him, and they would have gotten even more out of control. I think they know that a loss to Cincinnati would be cataclysmic. I was thinking about this for Ryan Day. It would be terrible to lose, obviously, with the Ohio State coach because you're not supposed to ever do that. But to lose at home to Luke Fickle from the school down the street, I think uh, Ryan Day has been planning for Cincinnati all summer and not for Atlantic, and so he held up at 28 nothing. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes, to a certain extent. Uh, I think you also have to think that after the 28 nothing start, Ryan Day didn't you know, go conservative and cause them to fumble the ball twice in the second quarter. I think the execution dropped too. But I, I think that the attitude, and this is something that he's going to learn as a head coach, is that he sets the tone for his team. So if his attitude is to back off the throttle, the players noticed it. And they got to the point where they could start rolling their helmets on the field in their minds. And obviously that doesn't work, even against a team like FAU. So uh, while I agree that most of FAU's success happened with OSU's first group not in there, I, I do, and I do think he got more conservative. I think that Ryan Day was hoping to be able to, well, let's run the ball for five yards of pop and, you know, short this game and get out of here with no injuries. I think that absolutely was his thought process. I think the problem was the rest, the rest of the team recognized it. And then you take that intensity from 100 to 80, you know, even a team like FAU is going to be able to do something about it. And in a regular game, I assume Ryan Day would have adjusted very strongly to the, uh, to the provocation of eight, nine guys in the box that we started seeing from FAU, whose sole intention was to not allow OSU to run for five yards of carry and kind of shorten the game up on them. I agree with you, though, on Cincinnati being absolutely critical, must win for Ryan Day. There's a couple factors at play here about why this is probably the most important game of the year for him to win. One, it's the first reasonably difficult game during his own tenure as the OSU coach. So it's the first quote-unquote big game, I would argue. I know he had a TCU game last year, but that wasn't his team. This is his team. He has to win that. Second of all, this is the last guy who was the head coach at Ohio State uh, before Urban Meyer and is a longtime fixture of a Buckeye in Luke Fickle. You can make the argument that if Ryan Day falters, Luke Fickle is the name everybody's going to be looking at in a couple years for this role. Uh, That's absolutely critical because these are clearly the two brightest head coaches in the OSU tree right now, if you will. Uh, the other factor here is is that you could – one of the biggest reasons Ohio State has been a 100-year powerhouse in college football is that it dominates the state of Ohio in recruiting. You're one of the best Ohioans. You're going to Ohio State, period. Uh, you, one of the other things is, is that even if you're not one of the best Ohioans, you're susceptible to Ohio State getting on the phone and going, hey, listen, I know you're committed to Iowa or whoever. We want you to come here. And more often than not, you're going to have success with flipping that kid to OSU. Well, if you go and you lose to Cincinnati, you lose – some of that cachet. That is a lasting loss for OSU. It is a lasting gain for Cincinnati because they're the one in-state program that has any sort of cachet, not necessarily to consistently beat OSU in recruiting, but enough to say, hey, these second-tier kids that are currently committed to Cincy, OSU's not going to be able to flip them anymore. Hey, you know, down the line, some kid from the city of Cincinnati who goes to a molar or something like that, who is a top-tier level kid, maybe he doesn't consider going to OSU if he doesn't grow up an OSU guy. It's harder to pull kids from there. Cincinnati is seen as a program that can beat OSU. So there's a number of factors in play here. Oh, and by the way, it would get Ryan Day's tenure off to a, a horrifying start, losing to Cincy at football, when Ohio State hasn't lost to an in-state opponent since, I believe, the 1890s. So all those factors combine to make this a must-win for Ryan Day. 
And I know every game at OSU is a must win, but the repercussions of this one are staggering. So I do agree that Ryan Day has had an ace up his sleeve and a big plan for Cincinnati for months now. And candidly, I would have too if I were in his shoes. The rest of the scene in college football yesterday, while entertaining, I'm not sure anything happened that was too alarming. Uh, the Big Ten went pretty much as expected. Could have used Purdue to pull that out at the end against Nevada, but the kid got a friggin' scholarship, a walk-on did for a kick, so I guess in the long run that's nice for him. Your commentary on the national scene, I guess really what we should talk about is Auburn-Oregon. A uh, very exciting game. It came down to the end, and the SEC wins again. Your thoughts on the national scene, maybe starting with that big game? Yeah, and that's a win the SEC desperately needed yesterday. I, I can't underscore that enough. The SEC saw a couple of its teams have horrifying losses. Like, Purdue wasn't a good loss. Don't get me wrong. It was 31-14 Boilermakers, and they should have won that game. Uh, even before that last-second 56-yard field goal by Nevada to win the football game, you know, Purdue, I thought, had a clinch with an interception in the end, so the referees screwed up uh, that would have ended it for him. But that's Purdue. Purdue's a chaos team. Purdue is a team that could finish 4-8 and eight or 10-2 and two this year, and it wouldn't shock me. Every single game they play is going to be a complete shit show like that, and I'm just thrilled that OSU doesn't have them on the schedule. But the SEC on the flip side of the coin, what they ended up doing yesterday was Tennessee lost at home to Georgia State, which didn't have football 10 years ago. Missouri was so hyped up because Kelly Bryant's there as their quarterback. Now what happens? They lost to Wyoming. It, it was the kind of day where South Carolina was up big on a bad North Carolina team coached by Mac Brown who came out of retirement, and somehow they lost that game. I mean, the SEC only went 8-4 and four this, this opening group of weekend outside of conference play if you include the Florida win over Miami a week ago. And if Auburn had lost the marquee game of the weekend, candidly a game they should have lost, it would have been a disaster for the SEC's national perception. Even talking heads at ESPN couldn't have spun that one in a positive direction. So that game, I think it came down to the fact that I don't think Justin Herbert's as good as a lot of the people want you to believe. And I think that just some absolutely crucial critical errors in that game cost Auburn or Oregon the football game. That struck me as like the inverse of what we saw with Cincinnati and UCLA where it was pretty clear since he was much better than UCLA. Just they, 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 they were having a little trouble pulling away before they, they put them down. Oregon should have been up big in that game. At one point, it should have been 28-6. But with some mistakes and fumbles and other and drops and that sort of stuff, they, they let Auburn hang around. And when they let a talented team hang around, eventually it's going to burn you. And that's, that's another example of that whole mental maturity that we were talking about with OSU keeping their foot on the gas. Uh, Oregon didn't. And because of it, they're 0-1. The Pac-12 continues to have a bad perception in the eyes of many national uh, viewers. And the SEC lucked out another win that's going to keep their whole cocoon of look how awesome we are intact, at least for the next couple weeks. But you know that was the big national game of the week. I, I, I do think it's really too early to tell about a lot of the quality of a lot of these teams because there really weren't a lot of intersectional games. But I'm definitely going to be keeping a wary eye on the SEC after their performance the first week because. That's the worst I can remember them looking at an opening weekend that didn't even have many marquee games. By the time you're done listening to this, you can click over and read the bucket. He'll be here every Sunday. Pat, we appreciate you stopping by, brother. Have a good one. Hey, you too, Dan. Enjoy the long Labor Day weekend. Let's now go to someone who saw it all firsthand, has been there many times before. Steve Hellwagon joins us. Steve, how goes it? I'm doing good. What's going on? 
your impressions of the first day, Ryan Day, Justin Fields, and the whole squad as you got to take in yesterday's game? Yeah, I was impressed for the most part, Dan. I think, uh, first of all, Justin Fields to come out and, and make plays. Now, obviously, Florida Atlantic was way overmatched, <clears throat> and uh, there were some terrible coverage breaks, as we saw uh, for them. Uh, the running play, I'll start with that, that Fields had to uh, to get the first touchdown, 51 yards. It reminded me of a lot of the running plays Ohio State gave up a year ago where they just had to hit one block and there was an alley and, and the runner was gone, like it was a scheme issue or, or whatever. And Josh Myers uh, hit an amazing block, I think, on a cornerback who was crashing down into the box. It was third and three, so I think – Florida Atlantic was feeling that Fields was going to, or or that there would be a running play to try and convert the first down, and they hit it. It was a you know his first run and, and off the read, and uh, I think a guy dove at his feet and you know may or may not have touched his foot on the way by, and he was gone, and he remarked how easy that was, and he he wasn't sure if he should keep running because it was. It was that easy getting through there, but uh, so that was one. Then you had the two coverage breaks where they lost Ruckert, and uh, then they lose uh, Ben Victor on the go route, and they're in some kind of a zone defense, and there's a safety at the hash mark, and Ben Victor is running down the sideline, and uh, we asked Justin Fields about it, and he's like, yeah, those are – sometimes tougher plays than you'd think because you, you just got to get it out there and let the guy go make the catch. And uh, from Ohio State standpoint, thankfully they did. And then Olave made a move on his uh, touchdown to the outside. The cornerback went with him, and then he cut back inside, and he was nowhere to be found on that one. The, the Ruckert play was interesting. He, like, looked over his shoulder like, where is everybody? There wasn't anybody within 25 or 30 yards of him uh, on his. So, they took advantage of what was a really bad Florida Atlantic defense, and uh, to me, that is, you know, that's part of the game. And I think that, uh, you know, it looks better probably than it actually was or should have been. Uh, Florida Atlantic shored some things up. Um, I'm looking at the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the drive chart, and Ohio State had four touchdowns to open the game, but after that, it went punt, punt, fumble which was the backward lateral pass to Garrett Wilson off his hands. And it was pretty clear it was a backwards pass. It looked to me like he threw it from in front of the 42-yard line and the ball went behind the 42-yard line. So that was probably the right call. They didn't even review that. Then punt, then the Dobbins fumble late in the first half that set up uh, the field goal uh, for uh, Florida Atlantic. So as Coach Day said, they kind of hit a lull there when you think about that stretch through the second and third periods before they finally uh, scored a touchdown again, I think with about two and a half minutes to go uh, in the third quarter. You converse that with the Florida Atlantic's drive chart, and it went punt, 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 punt. That was eight punts to start the day for Florida Atlantic, and they only had one first down through all of that. Didn't get their second first down until – Right before halftime on that field goal uh, drive after the Dobbins fumble, they had another first down and then kicked the field goal. So, I mean, their negative yards at the end of the first quarter, negative yards at halftime. So, really, the comment that I made to our guy Dave Biddle was 
Florida Atlantic uh, quit, but it was kind of in reverse. They quit in the first half with the idea that they didn't deserve to be on the field with Ohio State. And I think when Lane Kiffin and the coaches read them the riot act at halftime, they came out and actually played like it looked like they're a capable football team. So um, it took them a half to figure out that, hey, we do deserve to be here today. Our season has begun. We need to uh, show up. And they sustained drives, 65 yards, 75 yards, 76 yards. And the quarterback who couldn't throw the ball in the ocean in the first half was making some plays. Now, as Ryan Day said, uh, it was against a lot of the backups, but it was actually kind of a mismatch of uh, backups and starters. And, and to me, Dan, I think you lose your poise sometimes when you get up 20 to nothing so easily and you feel like it's going to be like that all day long. Uh, sometimes you lose your poise, but uh, all in all, I would give it a probably a solid B plus and A for the first quarter, and then you know B minus probably after that. But um, you know, solid B plus, and, and there's room for improvement. Uh, the good news is the coaches can put the tape on and show them all the negative plays that happened in the last three periods on both sides of the ball and can teach off of those and uh, understand that it's never going to be that easy again to jump on a team 28 to nothing. And uh, they better get their, their, their lunch pail and their hard hat because Cincinnati, from what I saw on Thursday, is going to come in there and hit them and hit them and play a physical football game and not going to back down or be in awe just because they're Ohio State. So they got some corrections they need to make from the neck up and uh, otherwise, though, the talent uh, seems to be on this team. Excuse me. I said this in the intro. Florida Atlantic was so bad to start the game, I think that really did affect it. You spend your entire offseason getting ready for a real football game. You come out there, and there have been a lot of teams that have taken money to come in and play football against Ohio State at the beginning of the year to get trampled. The beginning of that game, though, was the worst I've ever seen any one of those teams play. They weren't even playing. The record touchdown, or the it was a joke. So I do think that had something to do with it. Do you think Day held back at all after 28 nothing, knowing they were really a no threat and knowing how big the game is coming up this weekend? Yeah, I think there is a potential that some of that happened. I think they had some guys they wanted to get on the field and get them a taste of what this is all about. Uh, Fields played up until the very last uh excuse me, the very last series when Chris Chuganoff went in. And so uh, Coach Day made the comment, yeah, he played 74 snaps. We wish it could have been 174 because he needs every snap he can get. So he may be a little bit of an anomaly. I mean, you didn't see – they didn't run Dobbins through a brick wall. And, you know, part of it may – I mean, they put him right back out there after he fumbled, but they didn't go out of their way to play him a whole lot in the second half. They had – uh, and, and these guys, uh, let's see, Marcus Crowley, four carries for 27, Master Teague, eight for 49. Those guys, and Demario McCall, two for 11. Those three guys in particular all did very well when they were in the game. So I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think it's going to be good that they have a little bit of depth. Uh, I saw, you know, I was talking with one of the other website guys uh, from one of the other sites. We were getting on the elevator, and uh, he goes, yeah, the boards were looking good after first quarter, and then after that it was uh, 
a lot of melt mm-hmm. meltdown type stuff on the message boards. And, you know, that's just the nature is you want the team to be uh, letter perfect, and it's just not realistic even against an outmanned opponent. Um, you know, there's going to be – there were a couple turnovers and, and just some things defensively that uh, could still be cleaned up. But I thought the defense – excuse me, I keep uh, keep coughing. Uh, the defense, to me, uh, you know, slammed the – slammed the door on Florida Atlantic. The first team, the first 11 or 12, including Sean Wade, who played quite a bit on defense, uh, looked very good to me. And I think uh, that's that's what you got to kind of hang your hat on is that that you know they're not they're not going to give up a lot of points with those 11 or 12 on the field for the majority of a game. So. That that was a, a good thing for me to see is that, uh, you know, Jay Sean Cornell at defensive end, I mean, we were told he was going to start at defensive tackle a couple of weeks ago, and now we understand why uh, Larry Johnson wanted him on the field. And obviously they kicked him outside for this game because Jonathan Cooper is out with an ankle injury, and uh, Gary House, too, uh, was able to ascertain that, it could be a two to four week uh absence for Cooper, according to a source. So uh this you know, he may not play against Cincinnati or Indiana. So that's interesting. But they didn't miss a beat because Cornell came in and as I put on Twitter, he played out of his gourd and uh he and Chase Young, you know, Chase Young picked up right where he left off last year. Um Jordan Fuller, uh that guy Josh Proctor, late interception, uh that's that's what they need is, is to create some turnovers, and uh, you know that, uh, that that was a good thing. I thought defense definitely looked a lot better, looked a lot faster and hungrier. All we hear about is how everyone was thinking too much and didn't like the scheme last year. Uh, you touched on it briefly. Cincinnati's going to be a much bigger test. You obviously haven't gotten too into that yet, as the week is just getting started. Give us right now your thoughts on that game as we ended up here. Yeah, as I was talking to people after the game last night, people who saw Cincinnati take care of UCLA on Thursday, um, the thought is that Cincinnati is a tough team physically and mentally. Um, with Luke Fickle as their coach, they uh, have taken care of business uh, 11-2 and last year, 1-0 already this year, beating UCLA twice in that, that uh, two-year span and also beat Virginia Tech in their bowl game. So they've played Power 5 conference opponents, now obviously not one of the caliber of Ohio State, but it's a veteran team, and they're not going to come into Ohio Stadium and have a bunch of shock and awe that, oh, look at all these people and the lights and everything else. They're coming up 71 with a uh, determination in their in their mind that they're coming to Columbus to win a game. And their head coach, Luke Fickle, I mean, he's – I think by a lot of Ohio State fans, beloved. I mean, he was a, a a good player for the Buckeyes in the mid-90s, and I think he set a record at that time with consecutive starts or something like 50 starts or something in a four-year period, and then uh, was an assistant uh, from 2002 until, until uh, 2010, then the head coach, 2011, bumped back to an assistant under Urban Meyer, and that lasted up until 2017 
when he went to Cincinnati. He's in his third year there, and, and this would make his college coaching career certainly if he's able to come back and beat his alma mater and maybe he jumps off to Tennessee or something, you know, at the end of this season. There's going to be some Power Five <laughs> as there's going to be some Power Five schools looking for yeah. coaches as as we've already already outlined. Florida State blowing that lead and uh Tennessee, uh, you know, they're they're among many that are going to be looking for coaches probably at the end of the year. But uh that would that would make him a made man if he's able to pull that off. So they're gonna have the determination I think Cincinnati's offense against Ohio State's defense is going to be an outstanding matchup. When you talk about Ritter at quarterback and Warren as their running back, I mean, those guys are pretty good players. So uh, I want to see that matchup. I don't think Cincinnati's defense can contain Ohio State's offense, though. I think if the Buckeyes are clicking offensively as they were early in the game, I think Cincinnati's going to have a real tough time staying with the Buckeyes. So I'm going to put it an early thought, like 34-17, something like that for Ohio State. And uh, really interested and excited to, to get to the game. Just uh, the, It'll be a noon start, but the energy level was still pretty good, and I'm, I know it will be for this because uh, this is a much-awaited – I mean, as you think about it, Cincinnati is probably better than Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana – and maybe Northwestern right now. They'd be a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, perhaps. And, uh, you know, so I, I want to see, uh, you know, Ohio State's got to treat this almost like it's a Big Ten game, really. No one's driving too far for that game. You're going to have a – even though it's an early start, you're going to have a very well-lubricated crowd, that's for sure. No doubt. It should be fun. We will, we will be there with bells on. We appreciate Steve stopping by. But we'll make sure to have – one of our beat guys on every week to let you know how it really went down. Have a good one, Bucknutters. <laughs>